0: Hashem naseven Torah, great to be here, Baruch Hashem. Uh, we, uh, yeah, the mic is working, the cameras are working, Baruch Hashem, and Baruch Hashem will continue working for the rest of the shiur. So we are now in shiur number 55 in the Pirkei Vot series. There's a uh, couple of uh, public service announcements we'll talk about today, but as we've had in the last couple of weeks that I think uh, got some people very excited uh, to see the Kdusha of the Torah and how limitless it is. Uh, we'll do the questions again from the beginning of the year and uh, for the purpose of showing you that it has absolutely nothing to do with my intellect, my knowledge, my nothing. Uh, it has 100% to do with the Torah, where you can literally connect any question, anything you want, to any part of the Torah. That's the difference between divine knowledge and secular knowledge. If I told you that, uh, you know, you're, let's say you're going to give a lecture about science, or you're going to give a lecture about architecture, or you're going to give a lecture about some other topic, and then I ask you, yeah, but what do you think about politics? Politics may or may not be connected to what you're saying. On the other hand, if you were talking to me about, let's say, uh, dinosaurs, and I say, okay, but what do you think about cars? Cars may or may not be connected to your topic. Whereas with the Torah, Always, with with the help of Hashem, is uh, you could literally connect the Torah to anything, and you could answer any question from anywhere. So that's really the point of the questions and answers. And uh, Hashem, a lot of people online, and uh, you guys, I think, have enjoyed that part. So we'll continue that. So let's uh, let's start with some questions. Go first. Forty days. Yes.
1: Okay. So, is a than Let's say you learn something here, mm-hmm. but you don't
0: necessarily okay. to okay, Okay, good question. So, first question is: so, for everyone to remember, first question is: is memory relevant in Shemaim? Because when you get up to Shemayim, as we said in the previous shulim. You're going to each have to, according to the Arizal and the Kadosh also, is that uh, you're going to have to give a shield Torah for 40 days. 40 days straight. So it's not 40 days, 2 hours a week. It's 40 days straight. 40 days times 24 hours. So you're going to have to have... Tw- and you can't repeat the same thing. And no jokes. So you're going to have to give a shield Torah, a long shield Torah in Shemaim. What if you forgot? So it's a good question. Next question. The, line with the, with the, the goyim have to give a Torah. It's good. The goyim have to give a shiur Torah. It's an interesting question. And also you asked about Rabbi Akiva before. Um see how it's connected to this parasha, to this uh, parasha, to this Mishnah. He asked, uh, if uh, Rabbi Akiva, last week we said... They thought about making him the new Nasi. They made him the new president, uh, but they said that uh, he doesn't have schutavot. He doesn't have the merits of his fathers because he's a convert. His father was a convert, so he doesn't have the schutavot. He doesn't have the uh, meaning the uh, David, the Melech, Avraham, Amit and Yaakov as uh, to to give him merit. So they said that we're not going to make him the nasi because that's not enough. But at the same token, we know that Shmaya and Naphtaliyon. Which were bigger than both Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Akiva. They were in previous generations. Both were converts. As a matter of fact, uh, Avtalion. You should know, Avtalion means father of orphans, meaning he took all the orphaned kids, all the kids that didn't have father and mother, and he made them his kids. That's why he's called Avtalion. Av means father. Talion is, I think, in Greek or some other language, means children. So uh, he was an extraordinary human being and was a convert. So how could they make him into Nasi? He didn't have schutavot. He was directly a convert himself. If anything, Abiyakiba had more schutavot. At least his father was a convert. Right? So it's a good question. Next.
1: Okay. Right? So why did Hashem give them such a hard test? I mean, they already had a lot of problems with that. But you had other Divians that some people like we have today they walked around in a nice costume. And they, they sounded like they were telling the truth, but they weren't, and they were false. And it was very hard for people to tell the difference. Again, not like today. So why did Hashem give them at that time not oh, unlike today, such a hard test and knowing Who's telling the truth and who's not? And Jeremiah was not killed for it even at some times. And why would he make it so hard and, and make it hard for people to discern who's telling us really what Hashem wants and who isn't? How
0: Does everybody hear the questions? You guys hear the questions online? They hear They hear yeah. Okay, so the question is, how come Hashem gives such a hard test? Ta'ami said at the time of Jeremiah, when people were questioning whether it's real, whether it's not real, and uh, obviously they all failed. You know, we have a lot of people today that are confused whether it's real, whether it's not real, whether the Torah is still valid towards today or not. So, what are you doing, Hashem? Right? We're asking Hashem, what are you doing? Said, all right. Got yeah, the next. Anything you want. Anything you want. Is that the Hashem. Hashem will give you the worst answer. If I don't answer you, that means Hashem didn't give it to me. If it's me, I don't have the answer. If it's Hashem, He has the answer. Benefits of coming to the Torah. Okay, that's a question. Why should I come to the Torah? Okay, next. Why did the Prophet... Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Hey, why the Prophet? Prophet Navi. Nevi, Nevi, prophet. Why is he suffering so much? You know what they did to Isaiah? You know what they did to Isaiah? They chopped him up like sticks. Shem erachem. Shem Shem Shem. erachem. They chopped him up like sticks. Ay, ay, ay.
1: Jeremiah. Specifically, Yishayahu and Rabbi Akiva would say Isaiah was probably the highest level Nevi next to Moshe Rabbeinu. Oh, what a
0: question. What a question. It was worth to be born. It was worth to be born just to be able to know this question and let Hashem know the answer. Worth to be born. Worth to come to the Shur just for this question. New next one. Go. You see, guys, you're missing out. Anyone that's watching online, you could be asking questions. Nose ring. Is nose ring allowed? past, yes. We know that some of the uh, women in Tanakh had it. Today is a different question. Today is a different question.
1: elevator,
0: Shabbat elevator. Okay.
1: so I pay
0: You're asking for an answer, or you're asking for an
1: excuse? Oh, an asked, like, if
0: you're asking for an answer, I give you answers. Yeah. Anyone has a questions, I give answers. If you're looking for an excuse, because you may not like my answer. Like leniency, leniency is- no problem. We'll talk about leniencies. It's a good question. Leniency. Asked, when, when is it right, and when is it wrong to be lenient? Is it? Is it considered chasidut, meaning the highest level, to be strict? Strict on people. Tell them what to do. No, no, everything no. Are you have to breathe. No. Why are you breathing? Allowed or not allowed? Is it good? Maybe Dik. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't breathe. Forty days, forty nights. They didn't eat. They didn't drink. Nothing. Tzedek. No. Okay, that's another question. Anybody else? Any other questions? We're here today, and. We have Baruch Hashem, very, very good questions, very good time. And uh, we have Parashat Rei. Re'eh Anochi noten lefneichem ha'yom baracha uklala. I present before you today a blessing and a curse. It's Parashat Re'eh. Even has sound effects. And then we have the Mishnah in Avot, the last Mishnah in Peregimil. Rabbi El Azar Ben Chisma. Some say it's Rabbi Elazar Chisma. Omer, Kinin u hen hen gufea lachot, kufot ve gimatriot, par Rabbi El Azar Chisma says the laws of bird offerings and the laws regarding the beginning of menstrual cycle, menstrual periods, these are essential laws. Astronomy and mathematics, gimatria, are like seasonings to wisdom. How we're going to connect all of this, only Hashem can do. So Bezalel Hashem, he gives me the words. So now you have Parashat Re'eh, you have Mishnah, Last Mishnah, and Chelet Gimel. If I ask me today, are you going to celebrate after you finish Pelet Gimel? It's a big thing, finishing another part of, of Mishnah, and Avot, you should do a siyum. I said, no, when we finish the whole thing, we'll do a siyum. Ebo Hashem he likes to celebrate every time somebody finishes a uh, Masechet or Mishnah or something like that. It's a very big thing in Torah. It says in the Gemara very big thing To actually celebrate every time you finish a uh, Masechet every time you finish something in the Torah It's a big thing to finish something The Chazal say that uh, when someone Starts a mitzvah they must do everything they possibly can to finish it because they get there's a kitrug on them. There's a uh, What is a kitrug in in English? It's like uh, some type of judgment against them, a case against them. A, yeah, a a case against them until they finish the mitzvah. There's a case against You start a mitzvah, you don't finish. There's a case against you in Shemaim. So when someone starts Gemara, starts, you know, first page, second page, third page, fourth page, 15, 16, 17, 18. He's got, let's say, it's a Masechet Megillah. It's about 30 pages, 30 Dapim. He did 29, let's say. I think it's 31, 32, something like that. But it's in the 30s. Small masechet. He did 29. 99 percent. You're good, no? He said, no, it's a kitruk against you in shemaim. Why? You didn't finish it. You didn't finish the mitzvah. Big thing. So, it's a big thing to finish a mitzvah. Now, it's another big thing to understand the value of a mitzvah. The value of a mitzvah. Today, we are in a generation that's no different than a generation of Jeremiah. Generation of Jeremiah had a kitrug against them. Had a very, very big kitrug against them. If you remember in your in your Siddul, find in your Sidul. In your Sidul and Tfilat Shachrit. In Tfilat Shachrit after you, uh, after you do Amida and you go into the Vidui, in the part that you do on Mondays and Thursdays, Mondays and Thursdays, and it says, muna avadu, baim giborim laamod beperetz." So it says, "Men of faith, really men of faith. It's not really men of faith, but I'll explain it in a second. Men of faith are lost." Those who come with the merit of their deeds, the strong ones, they stand in the breach. So in the Gemara Masechet, page 14a, it mentions the Pasuk in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. And it says, Hashem Echbarach, when we decide, that's it, he's fed up, we've run out of time, run out of time, he says. When we run out of time... Gemara says, when there was no more Anshei Emunah, there was no more men of faith. What does it mean? People that didn't go to the Breslov Center or emuna.com didn't have Emunah, they didn't listen to uh Sheurs. The Gemara explains in Chaggar 14a, and also in a few other places, that Baalei Amanah, men of faith, were men that had true connection to Hashem barach to such an extent that they could not stand. They could not stand seeing another person sin and them not saying anything. They see somebody driving on Shabbat. They stop in the middle of the street. Stop the car. Doesn't matter if the guy's going 90 miles an hour. It makes no difference. They go in the middle of the road. Stop the car. You're a Jew. Stop the car. They see somebody eating non-kosher. They go into the restaurant and try to pull them out. You know what you're doing to your neshama? They see somebody with a goya, with a goy. They go talk to them. Sometimes in, right there and then. Sometimes privately. The point being is that if they had an opportunity, saw somebody sin, they couldn't live with themselves. Kal v'chomer, needless to say, if they were teachers, if they taught Torah, they couldn't just give you about, hey, it's okay. Hashem loves you. Everything you do is okay. It's all about just connecting to Hashem. Like some idiot is saying online every day today. Every day he has Shio online. More Kfirah in Hashem every day. But he has payas, reach the floor. His payas reach the floor. But every day he has you. No, it's all about how you connect to Hashem in your way. In your way you connect to Hashem. What about Mitzvot? Listen, if you're not ready to keep Shabbat, it's okay. Hashem understands. It's okay. Just keep going. So everybody, they they don't know nothing, miskinim. They don't know. They don't know them and the cow sitting next to them and the tiger sitting over there and the donkey's coming just late to the lecture because he had to work all day. Everybody's sitting together. They listen to the guy with the pears. He looks like uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. You imagine Moshe Rabbeinu with short hair? No. You imagine Moshe Rabbeinu with pears all to the floor with the beard and everything, Right? So the guy looks like this. He says, no, connect to Hashem in your way. In your way, do what you got to do. Hashem understands. Where? Where does it say this? Where? Which part of the Torah does it say this? Where? Where does it say it? Jeremiah tells you otherwise. Jeremiah is telling you and answering your first question. He says, when we ran out of people to say the truth, Hashem says, that's it, I'm finished. Finished! There's nothing, there's no right for this world to continue if no one is going to help people do tshuva. And there's no way to do tshuva without telling them the truth. You can't tell people, do what you want, do what you want, do what you want, connect. Hashem's going to wait for you to eternity like He works for you, like He's waiting at a bus stop, like some homeless person. No, He's going to wait for you. When you finish making your meal, He's going to come. No, my friends. Jeremiah is the proof for it. It There's no big test. It's the test. It's the only test of every generation. It wasn't an unusual test for the generation of Jeremiah, just like it's not an unusual test for this generation. It's the test. It's the point. The point is, Hashem Barach says in this week's parasha, I give you the blessing and the curse. Why didn't he say The blessing or the curse. Why is it the blessing and the curse? should be blessing or the curse. No. I do good. Good. I don't do good. No good. Right? should be and or. Right? He says, no, no, no. It's the blessing and the curse because package deal. You sign up with Hashem, you come to this world. It's package deal. Meaning, you do good, you get good. You do bad, it's guaranteed you'll get bad. There's no side deals. There's no you connect to Hashem in your own unusual charismatic way because some guy in payers told you it's okay. There's no hetel to be a Cofel. There's no hetel. There's no leniency to be a heretic. There's no leniency. So the generation of Jeremiah, they knew the truth. They saw miracles on a day to day basis. But they said, you know, we see Hashem. We're comfortable with Hashem. We believe in Hashem, but we also believe in a few other things. Maybe Hashem can wait for us a little bit. Hashem says, I gave you signs. I gave you wonders. I gave you panasa, I gave you everything you wanted. And you used it like a sword to stab me. In the Midrash Rabbah, it says about Moshe Rabenu, Moshe Rabenu, Moshe Rabenu says Moshe Rabbeinu in his level, if it wasn't written in the Midrash, wouldn't be allowed to say it. In his level, Hashem says, you sinned against me. You were like a shachen ra. You were like a bad neighbor, Moshe. He says. Why? He says, what is it like? The Midrash says, it's like someone, a king, says, I want a sword. I want a present that he became a king. So some guy says, okay, you know what? I'm going to honor the king. What does he do? The guy sells his house sells the business, sells the car, the boat, and everything else. What? To buy the king a beautiful sword. He gives it to the king. Here's the present. I sold everything to give you a present. Give you everything to sell present. The king says, okay, chop his head off with the sword. Chop his head off with the sword. So, Chazal explained, what does this mean? This is is an unusual analogy. Especially the tight relationship that Moshe Rabenu had with Hashem Ibarach, how could it be? So Chazal explains is that Moshe Rabenu asked Hashem in the verse that you said that I'm going to die, you used the word hen. But I blessed you with that same word. There was some other verse in the Torah where I, I used the same word hen to bless you. They. I used in one of the verses to, that he blessed Hashem, I used the same word, and I blessed you, but you are saying, I'm going to die. The time that he said that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to die, there's also in that verse, is also the word hen. So Hashem says, you are shachen ra. Why you shachen ra? You only remember the good. What about when you sinned with the word hen? He's like, I don't remember. Ah, you don't remember when you said hen, they, I'm Yisrael, he's not going to listen to me. So why don't you give me some proof so I could show it to them when I first sent you to Am Yisrael to go save them. Take them out of Egypt. They're slaves miskenim. They're injured. They're this, they're this. He said, no, they're not going to believe me. And lo Aminuli, li, they're not going to believe me. Oh, when you spoke against my children, you sinned. So you don't remember that though, Moshe, huh? He says, look, yoshachin ra. This is the tight relationship." Between Moshe Rabbeinu and Hashem I'd Barach. For us, something like this is not even a sin. Moshe Rabbeinu is different, different might as well be a different species. So what is Chazal teaching us from here? He says, we are also like a Shechen Ra. All of us are like a Shechen Ra. Why? Hashem, what does He do? He gives you par nasa, gives you par nasa. Eyes, He gives you eyes. Legs, He gives you legs. Head, He gives you a head. Wife, Husband, children, car, house, whatever you want, He gives you whatever you. He gave you. You're here today, He gave you shutra too. What do we do? When we give Him something, we want to give Him a present back. We want to give Him a sword. What do we do? We do, let's do Tefillin today. Let's do Tefillin today. When do we do Tefillin? 1130. Let's do Tefillin, 1130. Let's do Mincha. But let me look at my phone first. Let me eat kosher, but only, you know... In The house, let me give staka, but you uh, no, let me give it chai 18 dollars. Give met 440, it's better. Chai means alive, met is dead. Give met it's 440 at least. The guy made five thousand, ten thousand last month. He gives 18 dollars staka. He says that's like a shaken, it's a bad neighbor. Why? I gave you the money, I gave you the tefillin, I gave you the mouth to speak and bless me. What do you do? You're looking at your phone. You do tefillin at 11.30. You do just kratzmat just to get out of the chovah like, like you're doing me a favor. Your mitzvah, that's the kitrug against you. That's the kitrug against you, you ra. That's the kitrug against you. Why? Your mitzvah is nothing. What is it? You gave, me a, you gave me a sword, you're going to stab me with it? That's the present you give me? You didn't give me a present. You're like doing me a favor, like I need your mitzvah. You know what you're talking about? I'm talking about shemit barach. So the generation of Jeremiah. Unfortunately, they had a lot of false prophets, a lot of falsehood, no different than the false rabbis of today. Many people with payas and hats and beards and long jackets, and sometimes they even write books, and they tell you a different way to sin against Hashemit Bach. Hashemit Bach is telling you in this week's parasha. When that false prophet comes, it's a commandment from Hashem to kill him. This week's parasha. The false prophet comes, the dreamer. He comes. Commandment from the Torah to kill him. Obviously, we're not here to kill anyone and no one is claiming to be a prophet. But the point being is that the job of the prophets was to rebuke the people. That's it. That was their job. Their job was not to make you feel good. Their job, Moshe Rabbeinu's job, was not to say, oh, Hamos, how are you? How's your family? Everything okay? Oh, Hashem. Oh, Bezaleha, the kid. That's not his job. Gemara Masechet Megillah says, when Moshe Rabbeinu died, Hashem cried. Hashem. Hashem Idbarach cried. The way he cries, who knows how he cries, if he cries. Point being here, it says, Hashem. In the Gemara. it says, Masechet Megillah, you're going to get to it not Hashem. It says, Hashem cried. He took his neshama, at the same time he's crying. Why are he crying? He says, who's going to rebuke my people? Like my son Moshe. Who? Who? Who's going to tell them the truth? Why do you so care about the truth? You don't have somebody else. You don't have Yeshua ben You don't have the tzaddikim. You don't have this. He goes, no. No one is going to be like Moshe. Why? Because Moshe was Moshe Avdi. Moshe was my slave. What does it mean, I slave? What does it mean, Michael? Like? Slave is, to us, slave means something not good. You tell people about slavery, like, oh, it's no good. You guys believe in slavery still? It's archaic. In the connection between you and Hashem et Barach, Alvai. meaning, I wish, I wish one day we can be maybe something that looks like the shadow of a slave. Alvay. Why? Because a slave has no personality. A slave has no desire. A slave has no opinion. A slave wants nothing but the will of Hashem. You know, I went, I did a Shabbaton in uh, New York about a year ago. And the family I stayed with, Ba'uch Hashem, were very wealthy. And they had like uh, a servant modern-day servant, gets a salary, lives in a big, big house. Now, if you wake up in the middle of the night and the Baal bite, the owner of the house, says, I want coffee, the servant can't say, I'm tired, go make it yourself. Why? He'd hang her the next day. Or at least kick her back out to wherever she came from. If he says, listen, make me pasta at 2.30 in the morning, she can't say, no, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not ready. I got to do some other things before. Let me make a call to my mom. Let me see if my kids are okay. Why? A slave, a servant, a true servant of Hashem, removes his own desires from himself and replaces them with Hashem Barach. Moshe, Hashem Barach, calls him Moshe Avdi. Moshe, Moshe was my slave. Moshe was my servant. Why? He had no personal will. All he wanted was what I wanted. So the relationship that Moshe Rabbeinu had with Hashem Ibarach is a very, very unusual relationship. But still here, we see that Hashem judged him very critically. When he lost an opportunity to sanctify Hashem Ibarach's name, and instead of speaking to the stone, he hid it. Hashem says, this is the reason why you're not going to go into Eretz Israel. Obviously, there was other reasons which we've talked about in the past. But nonetheless, even he had to deal with reward and punishment. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabenu, the one and only that rebuked the nation like no other. Where him was, this is what Hashem says. The entire book of Deuteronomy is in essence Moshe Rabenu's journal. He wrote it. First, it was the first four books. And that was supposed to be the entire written Torah. But Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the fifth book, and Hashem says, I want you to include your book with my book. Make it the five books of Moses. Why? Because his opinion was no opinion. There was no opinion. It was Hashem's opinion. It was Hashem's opinion. Al-Vayalinu, that we have just for one day in our life, just Hashem's opinion. Not a whole life, just one day in our life. Moshe Abenu prayed 515 times, Parashat Vayetchanan, 515 times for one sin that maybe he didn't even make. He made in his level, but in our level, it's not even a sin. 515 times he prayed for one sin. We make 515 sins. We pray once, we say, No, Hashem, what happened? How come you didn't give me uh, my new car, my new $10 million house? 515 sins a minute we make, we pray one time. We think Hashem is going to give us Yeshua. He's going to give us the salvation. Why? I heard it from some rabbi. He said everything's okay. Connect to Hashem in whatever way you want. He's your friend. He's your buddy. Who, who said this? Who said this? Where is it in that Hashem is your buddy? Where? The book of Jeremiah is one of the proof. This parasha, parasha tre'e, is one of those proofs to answer your questions. You see, siat bishmaya, the answer to your question is already in the beginning. There's no such thing as a free ride. Now, for anyone out there that follows some of the news, there's a very interesting event that's expected to happen next week. Now, this event, you could ignore it if you want, or you could take it seriously. The choice is yours. I'm just here to report the news. Next week, there's going to be an eclipse. Now, this eclipse, the last time it happened, a similar type of eclipse, was 1979. 1979, almost 40 years ago. But the last time it did what it's expected to do this time, which means that this eclipse is expected to be shown all the way from the west coast to the east coast of America. It's supposed to, in essence, cut America in half. As far as, like, if you look at the map of America… They show you the visual uh, of what it's supposed to do, who's going to see it, who's not going to see it. This eclipse said it's going to be pretty much, it's going to travel all the way from the West Coast to the East Coast. So far, interesting, big deal. What does it mean? The last time such a thing happened was 100 years ago, 1918. If you remember... A lot of bad things followed. 1918. You had World War One. You World War Two. You had the Great Depression. A lot of bad things happened. In Gemara Masechet Sukkah, page 29A, it says, when such a thing happens, it's a sign from God as if there is an hourglass, as if there is a ticking clock. Of when Hashem's patience, in so many words, will run out. There's something bad coming. Specifically to the place of where it's shown. If it's shown in the West, something bad will happen in the West. If it's seen in the East, something bad will happen in the East. So they say, what are the reasons? Now, I'm going to tell you what the Gemara says are the reasons for such a thing. If those reasons are not valid, you have nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. If these reasons are valid, you have to make a different choice. What are the reasons for such a thing to to happen? If a giant sage, one of the avbedins, died and was not mourned properly, rabbis not respected and honored like they're supposed to be, especially the ones that have passed recently, whether it be Rav Ovadia, Rav yashiv some of the other giants that have, ha- have passed away just in this past year, if they were not mourned properly, some will say yes, some will say no, whether it's valid or not. So, two, families breaking we When I talk about the Pachatan and Kala breaking the shiduch; we're talking about the family. The family breaking the shiduch. Abba and Ima. Supposed to help the son. Abba and Ima supposed to help the daughter. But they break the Shidduch. No, 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 he's Moroccan. No, he's Ashkenazi. No, he's uh, Sephardi. No, he's Yemenite. No, he's Ethiopian. No, 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 we don't like him because he's too tall. He's too short. He's too rich. He's too poor. He's too this. He's too... You heard such a thing? No. Never heard such a thing. Broken Shidduch never, right? i just let you know, last night at 2 o'clock in the morning, till 3 o'clock in the morning, I spoke to a guy in Canada. About what? His father, who's a rabbi. Is doing everything he can to break his shidduch. Everything he can. Everything he can for months to break his shidduch. Why? The pride of man will be his downfall. That's reason number two. Three. Homosexuality becoming acceptable. You guys ever heard sort of such a thing? Maybe a gay pride parade or something like that? In this generation, in Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, America, nothing. That's the thing, right? No, Sus, no nothing like this. No. no, only in the generation of Jeremiah, maybe. Yes. Or the last and the most scary one, which answers your question from before the year. You didn't even ask it, but it's going to answer it already. If two brothers shed blood in the same day. Two brothers shed blood in the same day. Anyone who didn't read the news just a few days ago, two brothers, Jewish brothers, were stabbed over a parking space. One died. And he knew one of them. Two kids got into a fight, two young guys, got into a fight with some other people over a parking spot. The hoodlum in the other car didn't like it, so he decided to stab both brothers. One died, the other one got stabbed in his arm, but Baruch Hashem is okay. So the Gemara in Sukkah says this would be one of the reasons. Why? I don't know. This is God. This has nothing to do with me. Other reasons for these such, such things are forgeries in Jewish law. Have you heard of such a thing, forgeries in Jewish law? People that uh, invite uh, maybe uh, Christian missionaries to 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 shuls. You ever heard of such a thing? False witnesses, like the people that pretend like they're religious because they have a beard, but they lie on the stand. Disrespecting the land of Israel, doing things that are against the Torah, whether it be cutting uh, fruit trees or raising specific type of cattle. But out of the list of almost, I believe, eight or nine things, I think we'll are 90% at least. So, I'm not here to scare you. I'm here to tell you what the Torah says. What Torah says is that if you haven't started doing your tshuva, I don't care if you're born religious, are religious, think you're religious, want to be religious, if you haven't started doing tshuva, you're running out of time. I talk to all types of people every day. And the conclusion of many of the conversations is that many people are very very comfortable with where they stand if they're not religious they come they tell me oh, i have a problem i'm sick i'm divorced i'm uh, whatever something happens some disaster they want some help some advice Baruch Hashem, we try to do the best that we can and guiding them by the way of Talah and tell them okay listen you have this you have this you have this okay great you have only one solution i have a solution but you have one solution it's only once there's only one medicine there's one cure to all of your problems. Oh, great. They get excited. Divorced. Sick. Poor. Uh, headaches all the time. Whatever. All types of problems. is one solution. One pill fixes everything. Great. What should I do? Listen to God. What do you mean? God said in the Torah, keep Shabbat. That means you have to keep Shabbat. Once this week? No, no. All the time. God said you have to wear clothes that are modest. Modest. Meaning if you're wearing a skirt, and as a woman, you have to wear the skirt that covers your knees after you sit down. Not that you're pulling it down constantly for 20 minutes just to make sure it covers the knees. It has to cover the knees after you sit down, which means ideally the skirt should be very loose and all the way up to the ankles. That's ideally. That's the really way it's supposed to be. But if you want to... Play with a little bit of fire you want to wear a shorter skirt fine but still has to be kosher your clothes have to be loose you can't go out there thinking that you're modest even if it's a long skirt if it looks like a bodysuit when hashem says i'm going to test you in this week's parasha i'm going to test you shama olotechem so here he says in uh, chapter 12 verse 6 and there uh, there shall you bring your elevation offerings and feast offerings your tithes you meaning your masel, and what you raise up with your hand and your vow offerings and your free will offerings and your firstborn offerings, what are you talking about all these offerings, all these korbanot? Why did you say? Your offerings, your korbanot, that's it. He said, no, no, no. You want to be a kosher Jew? It has to be with all of your money. The meodecha. Not just the money that you make on the side business that's cash, you give $20 from it. The whole thing. The company, the big company, the small company, the stock market, the IRA, the 401k, the this K and that K, all the Ks. All of them. You want to be kosher Jew? Don't cheat God. Don't cheat God and think that you're okay. So here he's telling you all the different types of korbanot, all the different types of kibyechol, staka. You want to be close to me, he says. And that's to be with all of them, not just with the ones that you think makes you look good. Like people go to the twice a year, they give staka and Yom Kippur, but they don't pay until Rosh Shana of next year. That's not kosher tzedakah. Why? Because all you did is a marketing effort. You told everybody that you're very, very humble and very uh, honest and very great by donating publicly. But you didn't really give until next year. That's not kosher tzedakah. That's a marketing investment. Because the whole year you got business from people because they say, look, this guy's honest. And he's generous, and he's great. He gave $10,000, 30000 to the Biknesit. He screamed out, $15,000 for Aliyah. What Aliyah? Just do what it says in the Torah. Forget the Aliyah. Just do what it says for free. Free. You don't have to go Aliyah. You don't have to buy nothing. Just do what it says for free. So Hashem Ibarach is telling you in this week's parasha, follow it, the whole thing, with all of your money. So next week, this event, this giant event, that hasn't happened in decades, also happens to be on Rosh Chodesh Elul, which is also called Yom Kippur Katan. Rosh Chodesh Elul is a time for tshuva. If there was ever a time for a person to really start digging deep inside and try to find all these character flaws that he has and start working on them, this would be the time. Because Hashemit Iqbarach during this month brings his, the Shekhinah down and he gets closer to us. And he says, okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. What do you got? What are you saying? What do you want? Oh, yeah, you're asking me for stuff. Fine, I'm listening. No. What are you doing for me? Okay, Panasai gave you last year. oh should I decided you're going to get 100000 You got 100000 Wife, I gave you. Last year, you got married. Kids, you had a kid six months ago. No. What are you doing for me? What about now? When, when are you going to start learning Torah? When are you going to start doing me like you're supposed to and not stop making pretend like you're doing it? You know, like the guy that's the only a tzaddik inside the Biknisset. Inside the Biknesi, he puts the keep on. Outside, he looks like everybody else. No. When are you going to look like a proud Jew all the time? When? So Rosh Chodesh is happening, and we also have this event happening. And anyone that hasn't been sleeping under a rock also knows that the war already started, but it's about to get bigger. Right now, it's a chicken match between North Korea and Donald Trump of who's going to press the button first. They're both dying to press it. They're both—it's an ego battle—and they're both dying to press it. The next war is the last war. It's not a matter of uh, prophecy or anything even remotely close to prophecy. It's just common sense. It's common sense. The next war is the last one. So now, Hashemit B'ach is giving you many, many signs, many, many different things to explain to you that it's time for us to do Tshuva. You have this major event. You have Rosh Chodesh Elul. You have Parashat Shavua and what he's telling you just in the first verse of the parasha. You have what's happening worldwide. How much Amishai is, is, is hated and despised everywhere, whether it's in America or in Israel or anywhere. It's happening. So now, this public service announcement is either going to wake you up or it's going to confirm that you're dead. Everyone, it's up to you. Mishnayin Avot is going to give us a little bit of insight. A little bit of insight. And there's also some of the answers to your questions, if I remember them. Rabbi Elazar bin Chisma Omer Kinin upitrenida, Rabbi Elazar Khisma says, the laws of bird offerings and the laws regarding the beginning of the menstrual period, these are the essential laws. She says, many people like to study the big things. The things that are not necessarily really big, but they look big. In the eyes of people. Anytime somebody tells me, oh, yeah, I uh, did chuva six months ago, two months ago, a week ago, a year ago, you know, knew about Shuvah, I could already tell if they did chuva or not, or at least their version of chuva, simply by looking at them. They have a beard. Everybody does chuva, for the most part, they grow a beard if it's a guy. They grow a beard. People think that if you grow a beard, you did tshuva. So you ask him, okay, what about Torah? You learn Torah every day. No, you know, I, I go to a shiur once in a while. I go to a shiur. I listen to some stuff online. So, okay, so are you keeping what? Keeping Shabbat? He goes, yeah, yeah, no, on Shabbat I stay home. I uh, have uh, kiddush. You go to big once in a while. What kind of tshuva is this? What are you doing? and you see that usually it starts with the leadership who like how they started and what they did is faulty leadership and one of the main reasons for it is because we don't really understand what real chuvah is we don't understand what real chuvah is you ask people what else do you do for Hashem goes, no I go to mikveh. I go to mikveh, the extra cold one at least 2-3 times a week at least two three times a week. And I fast. I fast once, twice a month. So you fast, you go to mikveh, you have a beard, you look like a chassid, your payers are already reaching your ankles. But Alchot Shabbat you don't know yet. Kosher, you're not really sure how you could possibly eat kosher vegetables only at a kosher place. I had somebody post online today. He says doesn't it mean if I'm if there's no such thing as meat in a certain restaurant that means that by default it's kosher right he says listen' I'm, there's no meat it's a vegan place it's a vegan place if it's a vegan place there's no meat that means by default it's kosher right it only means you haven't learned kosher laws because the vegetables also have to be kosher. Not that they, they grow them in a specific farm. This is a kosher farm. This is a tame farm. No. It's that you have to wash the vegetables to make sure that when you're eating the, the, the lettuce, you're not eating worms with it. Because every time you eat worms, it's six different sins. Meaning, it's a bigger sin than eating pig. So if you don't wash your vegetables... 100% you're violating the law. Everybody thinks, no, no, but I bought the salad at uh, Starbucks, or I bought it at uh, this one, or some fancy restaurants. So of course they clean it. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They do not clean it the way Jews clean it. Why? Because they don't have to. They don't have to put the lettuce and make sure that all the leaves are going into water three different times with salt or maybe with soap. You have to wash it. You have to make sure. You have to look at it. I mean, it's uh, like a science project. Just to get some salad, they don't do that. You think anybody? Even in the kosher places, many places don't do it. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Just assume that they're washing. No, they're not washing. What you think? You haven't eaten a few flies, a few worms, a few maggots, a few this. If you ate in any of these places, you ate a bunch of them. And each time, it's six different sins. So when people complain, oh, why did I have a flat tire today? Why did I lose money today? Why does my wife uh, hate me? Why does my boss want to fire me? Why? Because you're eating worms every day. That's why. semi tamay tame. Something that's tame only generates more tame. Something that's impure creates more impurity. You're bringing impurity into your body. Whatever comes out is also tame. So the beard and the hat and the jacket and all that stuff... It means absolutely nothing. Nothing. The fast, nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Unless it's an obliga- obligatory fast, as a matter of fact, unless you are biki, meaning an expert on all of the alakhot, all of the basic alakhot, all of them, alakhot Shabbat, Nida, everything, Kashrut, Limut Torah, you're, mamash, you're like a, in this generation, a Talmud Chacham. You're not even allowed to touch any of those things, according to the Rambam. The Rambam in uh, Shmona Po'akim says that many people look at the stories of the Tzadikim. Like, look, this Tzadik used to fast from fr- from Motzeh Shabbat till Friday. I can't fast for a week, but I'll fast for a day. Why? No reason. I want to fast. I want to make myself holy. Make yourself holy. Learn some Gemara. Make yourself holy. Learn alachot. Make yourself holy. Learn parsha shavua. Learn something. Your fast are meaningless. No, no. I go to mikveh. If you're tameh before the mikveh, you're tameh after the mikveh. It's not the water's not going to help you if you're not learning Torah. It's not going to help you. Might as well go to a pool. At least maybe you have some fun. If you're teme before the mikveh, it's not going to help you. If you're not learning Torah every single day, it's not going to help you. Whoever is giving you this illusion that you can go to the mikveh once a week, once a month, once a year, whatever it is, and that's going to somehow fix it, that's 100% idol worship. It has nothing to do with Judaism. It's complete stupidity. These are the words of the Rambam. The Rambam says those people that take the ma'asim of the tzaddikim, the things, the, the deeds... The acts of the tzaddikim and do it themselves are completely stupid. This The Rambam says this. They're stupid people because they have no idea why the tzaddikim even did what they did and yet they compare themselves to the tzaddikim by doing it. They think that the tzaddikim became tzaddikim because of the mikveh. Became tzaddikim because they fasted. They became tzaddikim because of the Torah they learned. Not because of the beard they grew. Not because of the pears and the hats. So instead of focusing on all these little things, Rabbi Lazar ben Chisma says, first and foremost, understand what's foundation and what's not. The laws of kinin. Bird offerings. That's the stuff nobody wants to learn. It's a Mishnah with no Gemara. You have the Mishnah, mishnah. it's the oral Torah. And the Gemara explains how the Mishnah got to where it is. Whatever it says, how do we get there? What's the sides? A versus B. How do they get to this? How do they get to that? Why? Who? When? All the different questions. Everything has a Mishnah. No Mishnah. Bird offerings, no Mishnah. There's a million and a half different issues, but there's no there's no Gemara about it. There's no like questions about it. There's questions in different Masechet in the Gemara, but not there's not a specific uh, order of uh, what's called of uh, Gemara on at kodashim He says studying that, that's the foundation. Why? That's the difficult stuff. That's what purifies you. Not going after Sipuret Sadikim and a couple of jokes. Okay, Sipuret Sadikim is good. A couple of jokes is good. But a little bit. A little bit. It's not the ikar. It's not the uh, primary. People go to Shulet Torah, instead of Shulet Torah, it's a comedian. No, is he funny? Yeah, yeah. An hour and a half you're going to laugh. If it's an hour and a half you're laughing, it's not a Shulet Torah. If you're laughing for an hour and a half, it's not a Shulet Torah. Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 30. It says, Rava used to start with Milad de Milad Mila de He started with a joke. So everybody knows this Gemara. Everybody knows this Gemara, especially people who like to tell jokes. Sometimes, I, used to, I used to have, maybe two, three years ago, I had a student. He would come to my shield, it was my mash not avonot for me. It was like I would have to suffer, and he came to my shield. Why? Every five minutes, he interrupts me with a joke. Every five minutes you interrupt with the joke, with the joke, the never-ending journal of jokes. There's kaparata v'not. the speaker, you have to focus, you're looking, you're thinking, you see every five minutes you're interrupted with a joke, and everybody's laughing, you got everybody warmed up, you got everybody to do something, God gives you a joke, it kills the whole thing. By the way, Gemara Masechet Zarah says special punishment from heaven on somebody like that. You should know. You can't just joke around in the middle just for no reason. Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus, Rabbi Akiva's uh, rabbi, says it's very sad, very sad for the jokesters. Very sad. The beginning is suffering, and their end is destruction. He says, for that little joke, you like the joke in the middle of Shul Torah for no reason, interrupt the Shul Torah. You should know. Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus says the beginning is suffering, and the end is destruction. Why? You ruined the entire Shul. So now you have a Gemara in Shabbat. Says, Rava started a shiul with Milad e He started a shiul with a joke. How could it be? How could it be? He, says, he started this shiul with a joke because the rest of the shiul was full of scary stuff. The rest of the he got the shiul, got everybody's attention. Ha 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 ha. Great, now you're ready. I know you're all awake. Let me tell you about Geinom. Let me tell you about what Hashem really wants. Let me tell you about what happens when you're just a faker. Let me tell you about that. The rest of the shoe, it says, says in the shoe, the rest of the shoe was 100% fear. Just fear. He didn't say some joke, some this. No, no, no. One joke, the rest of the shoe, he scares the hell out of you. You could be from from birth or whatever. At the end of the shoe, you did the tshuva. So Rabbi Elazar, he says, first and foremost, you have to know that even such things that are difficult, like the bird offerings, that why would you study it? This is one of the places that teaches you the purpose of studying Torah is not to give speeches only. The purpose of studying Torah is not only to see if you can decide what's applicable to you and what's not. The purpose of studying Torah is for the sake of studying Torah. Because that's what you were made for. You came to the world to study Torah. Because Hashem says to the Prophet Jeremiah, If not for my covenant, meaning my Torah being studied day and night, The laws of the world will cease to exist. There's no purpose for the world to exist without somebody learning Torah. Meaning, you open a Sefer Torah, you open a Chumash, you open Gemara, you open Mishnah, you open something, book. you are responsible for the globe to continue spinning at that moment. Now, why would somebody not study Torah? Why would all of us have such a difficulty studying Torah? Because we're all stupid. Meaning, even though you may be an architect, a lawyer, a doctor, a genius, an IQ of a thousand, if you're not studying Torah day and night, you're an idiot. Why? Because you think, and I'm part of this you, you think that there could potentially be something more interesting than the Torah. The only reason Why you don't study Torah is because you think that maybe, just maybe, there's something more valuable and interesting than Torah. So let me check the news. Let me see what the government is doing now. Let me see what Donald Trump tweeted today. Let me see what Iran is planning. Let me see what the New York Jets are doing. Let me see what the diamond industry came up with today. Let me see what the baseball team is winning or losing. You think that there's something better than Torah, and that is exactly what the Yetzirah wants you to think, because the only way you can beat him is with Torah, only way. But we, like fools, think, no, no, I want to go learn science. So I have to go learn it in a science book. False. You can learn science in the Torah. I want to learn medicine. So I have to go learn from medical books. False. You can learn medicine from medical books, from Torah. You ask some, you look at some of the major stories, even today there's a big, I forget his name, there's a big tzaddik who many doctors from all of the world Call them and ask them for advice. What to do? Surgeries. Yeah, Rabbi Fear. There's also in the past generation, they would call the sages, they would ask them, what should we do with certain medical? These people weren't doctors, but they knew the answers from the Torah. I want to learn business, so I got to go to a university. No, you can learn that from the Torah also. As a matter of fact, there's three Masechtot, there's three parts of the Gemara that are all about business law. Rabbi Yisrael Misalant, anytime one of his students said, I want to, okay, I learn, I learn, I learn, Baruch Hashem. I need to go make Paranasa, I need to go learn uh, about business. He says, no problem, finish. Barba Kama, Metziah, Barba Batra. Three Masechtot, who actually were originally supposed to be one Masechet. Go finish all three of them. After you finish them, you finish them, you you know them really good, you go work. After you finish them, he doesn't want to work. Why? Because he's connected to God. He's connected to God. So, the Gemara says that there's no such thing. There's no such thing as someone that's connected to God, truly connected to God that ever went off the derech. Ever. In the history of mankind. No one that was truly connected to Hashemit Barach that ever left the derech. Now you can give me 500 examples right now of what you think is the opposite. No, but this guy used to be a rabbi. He left, he's a kofer now. This guy used to be a talmit chacham in a yeshiva. He's now not religious. This is this. You give me all these examples. Kamala says, no such thing. What does it mean, no such thing? They were never connected to God. Maybe they were connected to the intellectual aspect of learning Torah. They liked learning. They liked some of the laws. They liked some of the structure. They liked some of the culture. They liked the food. But connected to God? Impossible. Why? Because it's a one-way street. Once you're connected to Hashem, it's one-way street. You don't ask yourself, do I want to do this mitzvah or not? Do I feel like it or not? Do I give this guy its or not? Do I do this? There's no such thing. Why? As soon as you're connected to a God, the God of Israel, you're finished. You're finished. There's no more me. There's no more me. What do you want? How can I do what he wants? And the only way to do it is by using the tool of Torah. But yet, you see many people learn Torah. Learn Torah, especially now you see people learn Torah, but become kufrim. Become naval birshuta Torah. Become a mash minuvalim. Despicable people, but they think they have the permission of the Torah these people were never connected to the Torah. They are connected to the intellectual aspect of the Torah. Because the Torah is very deep, very intellectually stimulating. But the difference between that type of Torah and the real Torah is that the real Torah is something you apply to your life. When someone is doing tshuva, real tshuva, that means that anything and everything that he reads, anything and everything that he learns, he tries to find a way to apply it to his life. He goes to a shiur Torah and he gets energized. The rabbi said if you get angry, the Torah says it's the equivalent of idol worship. He goes home nervous. Why is he nervous? Because yesterday I threw the remote across the room because my team lost. In Shemaim, it's working against me. I have to do something about it. Well, I know I'm not going to stop being angry right away. What should I do? Okay, I'll throw out the TV. Solved. No more team, no more football, no more baseball, no more sh'tiyot. Replace that cursed television that you're watching sports with shoot-a-torah. You want to have the TV? Disconnect the cable. Put shoot-a-torah on it. But if you want to continue watching TV and think that your tshuva is good, you're in good shape, you live in a different world. Completely different world. So first and foremost, Rabbi Lazar Chisma is telling you even the difficult parts. Like studying the laws of bird offerings, that's part of learning Torah. Second part is foundational laws. Like the laws regarding the menstrual cycle. Both men and women need to know it. Why? Because this is the foundation of a house. If a woman does not want to go to the mikveh, you're not allowed to be with her. A man that's with his wife, when she's nida, and they're intimate together, it's the equivalent of karet. It's the equivalent of the worst possible sin worst possible punishment in a Torah, which they both have to do serious, serious chuvan. It's a worse sin than incest. It's a worse sin than some of the biggest things that you would think are a sin. Being with a woman that's not going to a mikve, you are destroying your relationship with Barach. Now, many times you have, Baruch Hashem, you have many b'ale Chuva. And sometimes one side starts before the other. Sometimes the husband starts first. Sometimes the wife starts first. And hopefully the spouse joins the tshuva later on. But sometimes you have a situation where the husband starts, starts doing tshuva, but the wife not only doesn't want to start doing tshuva, but she's empty. I have a situation like this with one guy. I used to come to my shurim. And... Uh, he started doing Tshuva ba'u Hashem, but he got married before he did Tshuva. He was married for like a year before he got started doing Tshuva. Six months or so after, or a year after he got married, he started doing Tshuva. And his wife, he never knew, but his wife is anti-Torah. Not only she doesn't want to be religious, she's anti-Torah. She hates it. But he's got a problem now. They have a kid. They have a kid together. That unfortunately came while she was nida. And she has no interest whatsoever to go to the mikveh. Not now or not ever. This means that according to the Torah, he's not allowed to touch her finger. Forget about being intimate. Of course that's not allowed. He's not allowed to sleep in the same bed with her. Even if they're not touching. Even if they're not holding hands even. He's not allowed to be in the same bed with her. So now when pe- when couples come to the beddin to get a get. The Bed-Din is very, very lenient and very understanding of family problems. So they don't just give you a get right away. So if let's say, for example, a new couple comes and they say, listen, he, the Tshuva, he wants to keep Shabbat, he wants this, she doesn't want to keep Shabbat. She doesn't want to keep Shabbat. So the rabbi say, work it out, we're not giving you a get. Work it out, Hashem, over time she'll keep Shabbat. Or... The couple comes to the bed they say, okay, she doesn't want to eat kosher. So my whole house is full of tarif. My whole house is full of not kosher. They say, we're not giving you a get, go buy kosher food. Work it out. Get it to do tshuva. They don't just give you a get just like that. We're not the uh, civil court of the goyim, that anything that squeaks, they give you everything. No. In the Jewish world, it's very, very important to keep the marriage going and to work through problems. Simply because that's what builds a relationship. There's no such thing as a relationship that doesn't have problems. If it doesn't have problems, it doesn't exist. In order for it to be a relationship, it must have problems. That's how you build it. This doesn't mean that you're looking for problems. It's just a reality. You can have high times, low times, but that's what makes a couple a couple. But sometimes you see people that are unfortunately misled Either by themselves or by some rabbi That create their own problems Where they focus on a tafel they focus on small things Growing a beard Doing uh, you know a few other things learning here and there going to minyan at nets different things important things but Going to the Torah. The one that actually got them to do tshuva, they stop. Now, I don't like to talk about this, but it's gone to a point where my Rav told me you have to. Now, I'm scared of my Rabbi. And Gemara says one of the things that you need to do is you need to be scared of your Rabbi like you're scared of God. Alvai, I'll get to that point one day. But when my Rabbi tells me, that I have to do something, I do it. Sometimes I don't want to do it. But I do it. Why? Because I know his dad, da Torah. Whatever, he doesn't have an opinion. He says what God says. So he told me I have to say this. What did he say? Unfortunately, this is something that's sad. But for the last few years that I've been teaching, Baal Hashem, we've had a lot of people do chuba for whatever reason or another, the way it works is people do tshuva, they get stronger, they get married, they convert, they, uh, whatever, they get uh, all types of wonderful things happen to them, and then they stop coming. Like they feel like, okay, I got to this, I did tshuva, I have a kippah on, I have a beard, I have a this, I have a that, they stop coming to shuva Torah. Now unfortunately at this point, it's gotten to the point where it's not just a one-time thing. It's gotten to the point where it's a consistent situation where people that stop coming to the Shure Torah eventually fall off and become unreligious, become secular again. This hasn't happened only once. This is a lot of times. I have people that have come to Shure Torah, Hashem, the fire inside them was finally lit, some people went from being atheists to having an orthodox wedding. Got stronger. Wife got stronger. Had miracles happen to them. Stop coming. What happened six months later? Divorce. Both kofrim. Another one. chuva. Everything good. Wife is great. This is great. Everything wonderful. Stop coming. They don't keep shabbat anymore. Story after story after story after story, and it's to the point where it's making me sick. People think that no, no, I came to the Shul torah, I got there. I'm good now. I'll watch it on YouTube. I'll watch it on your website, Beis right, Rabbi? Beis They tell me like it's a like it's a big uh, amazing uh, deed. You remember my website, Beis right, Rabbi? I'm watching it on your website. It's B-E-E, right? B-E-Z-R-A-T? Oh, wow, you know how to spell but it's other shape. But you know, we also have B-E-Z-R-A-T. It's fine. You could do both. I'm watching it. I'm watching it online. I'm watching it live. I'm watching it live. Tisha B'Av, we had a shiur in uh, Miami. And it took me about an hour and a half to get there, an hour and a half to go home. About three hours. The shiur itself was about an hour. So I was wondering the whole way there, why does Hashem think that it's worth it for me to travel three hours, travel three hours for a shiur of one hour, who was really supposed to be a half hour to 40 minute shiur. I stretched it to an hour. Why? So I was talking to my Rav. And we learned some Gemara on the way there for the hour entry. You can't just do nothing. What are you going to do, nothing? No, you have to learn Torah on the way there. So we learned Torah on the way there. So Baruch Hashem, we got to learn some Torah. But we learned, again, Gemara, Masechet, Chagiga, Rav Eidi, Rav Eidi. he used to travel three months. Three months to go learn Sheol Torah. One day. And then go home. Three months. Six months he would travel for one day of Sheol Torah. Six months. He traveled not to give the Shiotorah Torah, to go learn with Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. Go learn one day. So the uh, the students of Rabban Yochanan said, "You're like a rabbi for one day, you uh, Ravidi. What are you traveling six months for one day Shul Stay home. Take a book. Stay home. What are you traveling for six months? What are you traveling six months? Go. Stay home. Take a book. Stay home. What are you doing?" It's not that he wasted his time for three months, he learned on the way also. But I said, why have you been wasting your effort traveling three months, three months for one day? Stay for six months, stay for five years. Six months you're traveling for one day. The Gemara says Rabban Yochanan went to Rab and started begging him, please don't judge my, my students unfavorably in Shemaim and punish all of them. Because your schut is higher than all of them. They learn all year. But your schut is higher than all of them. Why? You have something they don't. What is that something? You have mesirut nefesh. You have mesirut nefesh. In Gemara, Masechet uh, Brachot, Reshlaki says, you want Torah, you have to have mesirut nefesh to the point where you're willing to die. Just to learn Daf Die. Not travel an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours, six months. You have to be willing to die. Just to learn Gemara. Just to learn Torah. So now when someone has an opportunity to go to a shiur Torah and they don't go because they want to watch it online. They want to watch it tomorrow on YouTube when they feel like it. In between bathroom breaks. When they're smoking a cigarette. When they're having their steak. They want to watch their Torah conveniently while they're having popcorn. But they can come to the Shul Torah. They can come. I'm not talking about the people that can't come. If you live in Montana, you live in uh, Africa, you live in different places where I'm not there, you're learning Torah just like you're here. I'm not talking about you if you can't come because you live in a different country, a different state, you're far, far, far away. That's a different story. I'm talking about the ones that are local. I'm talking about the ones that are traveling less than me. Takes me an hour to get here, hour to go home. Sometimes longer if there's traffic. No traffic. You live five minutes from here, twenty minutes from here, half hour from here, forty-five minutes from here, an hour from here, and you don't want to come? Why? It's late. I have work tomorrow. Why? You're the only guy on earth that has work. You. That's it. Everybody else is just sitting there, folding their hands. Everybody sitting. There. Everybody else not working. They're looking. Yeah, <laughs> he's working. Look, sucker. He's working, we're not doing nothing. What the pool all that? Look at this guy, he's working. Shh. Imagine that. Everybody's looking, He's working. Look at this guy. This guy's working. We're just guys just sitting there all day, we're not doing nothing. Look at this guy, he's working. Let me skin. What is the only guy working? You're the only guy who has to wake up early in the morning to go pray. He says, if you're not going to Torah because you're lazy, because you're tired. Because you want to watch sports, because you want to watch it, you want to do all these other things. You have no idea what you're doing. Why? Because you need mesirut nefesh to earn Torah. That's the schar. The Gemara in Masechet Brachot says, "What's the schar that you get from Shemaim for going to Shul Torah?" They say it's schar al dicha The reward is for going, not for learning. It doesn't say you get the schar. You get the reward. Learning the Torah, it says you get the reward for going to the Shul Torah. Why for going? It should be I went, I learned Torah. That I get reward for that. It says no, no, no. You get the reward for going to the Shul Torah. Why for going to the Shul Because if you're going to go to Shul it's a serious Shul Lights up your heart, lights up your neshama. You're going to start doing tshuva. It's not. It's not going to be a type of Shul you're going to remember everything. You're not going to remember everything. I talk for two, three hours. You're not going to remember everything I said. You're not. I don't remember everything I said. And I'm saying it. So, but Hashem wants to give you a full package of reward. He wants to give you a complete reward. Complete. So He says, one thing you did for sure. Complete. You went there. You get the shachar for that. That's if you can go. If you cannot go, you're watching it live, you're watching it right away, a shrecha. You get a 100% reward because you can't go. You consider considered anus. You're not responsible for a mitzvah you can't fulfill. You can't come, so you get the reward hundred percent. So, Hashem has many thousands of people that watch the shulim every week. They watch it like it's clockwork. As soon as it's posted, they're already watching. Already two, three, four, five hundred views in a second. I'm like, wow, like that. It's amazing to me that anybody even watches the Torah. See, five hundred people just watch Shulit Torah. Sometimes we have a delay, technical delay. Satan. Interrupts. We have a problem. The camera, the battery, the something. will happened? So it takes like a delay. Sometimes we're late, late, for like five, six hours, or even a day and a half before we post the shi'u. Five hundred emails. No, what's going on with the shi'u Torah? You have Torah. Where's the shi'u Torah? What's shi'u Torah? It's like why well, you don't have anything else to do? You shi'u Torah? Yes, this is this mesirut nefesh. That's mesirut nefesh. That's no different than you traveling an hour to the shi'u Torah. They get just as much reward for watching it online, but that's because I know for sure, and Hashem Ibarach of course knows that if they were close, if even if they were two hours away, they'd come here first before me. They'd wait here. I had a shiul in Los Angeles one time, maybe about a year and a half ago. I get to the shiul, lecture. See a nice, tall, handsome man, young guy, maybe 20 years old, very excited to see me. And, uh, ask him who he is, he tells me his name. I remember texting and we exchanged a few texts. Tadiq. I'm like, oh, so how was your ride here? He goes, no, it wasn't so bad. It's not ah, only seven hours. I said, excuse me? What would you say? He goes, no, no, it, was not, it wasn't that bad. It was actually a good, good ride. I'm like, yeah, no, no, the, the last part. What did you say, the last part? He goes, yeah, it was only seven hours. I'm like, what do you mean it was seven hours? We're in Los Angeles. Where do you live? Arizona? He goes, yeah, I live in Arizona. So what are you doing here? He goes, I want to see a When's the next time you're going to come so close to me? So I said, okay, so how long are you here? He goes, just for the shiut Torah, I'm going home right after. I have to take my brother to school tomorrow. He traveled 14 hours for shiut Torah. We can't travel 14 minutes. That's the kitrug. That's the sword. And unfortunately, it's gone to the point where I have to say it. Aside from it being Torah that we have to learn, I'm seeing it as a continuous cycle where people that are not willing to do mesirut nefesh, to sacrifice, to do, learn Torah even when it's not convenient, to inconvenience themselves. For the sake of Torah, Hashem Ibn is saying, you're not honoring my Torah. You don't deserve my Torah. I gave you a Torah that's complete, that's divine, that's perfect. That's everything. That's the secret to life. Eternal life I gave you. You're not even willing to drive a half hour. You should be ashamed of yourself. I gave you something divine. You're not willing to drive 15 minutes, a half hour. No, I'm going to watch it tomorrow when I'm in bed. You don't learn to lie in bed. You have an opportunity, you go. And I'm telling you this, not because I don't get money from you. I don't ask you for money. None of this stuff matters. To me, I'm here. If God's here, I'm here. It's for you. I'm telling you this. I'm telling everyone that has an opportunity to watch you at the live. If you're not going, it's 100% a kitrug. If the person you want to watch is local, is an hour away, it's a reasonable distance away, and you're not going, it's not good. Why? Because you're not honoring the Torah. You're not willing to sacrifice anything. You want to learn Torah on your convenience on your couch with the bamba. And you want your wife to give you Coca-Cola every few hours, every 15 minutes. Oh no, it's a break. Let's What break? The guy's talking for three hours straight. What break? No, I just put the pause. I smoke in me. I put the pause on YouTube. I put the pause. I went to the bathroom. It's more convenient for me. Okay, you're going to learn some things, but you're not going to inherit the Torah like it is. Why? Because it's missing. It's missing the ingredient. The ingredient of a mesirut nefesh. The self-sacrifice. If I tell you the stories of some of my students, of what they want to do for Torah, you'd mama start crying. What people like Vimesh, like Emmanuel, like uh, uh, Adis, all of these people, what they do for Hashem, itbarach, you'd mama start crying. But then I see other ones, my students, they start good, they come to Shul et Torah, they do good, they do this, they do this, all of a sudden disappear. All of a sudden, the job killed their Torah. All of a sudden, their relationship killed the Torah. All of a sudden, something happened, they come to you, they can't come to Shul et Torah. Okay, one shoe, fine, no problem. You can't come one shoe, two shoes, three shoes, four shoes, five shoes. After five shoes, I know you're not coming anymore. Six months later they see me at the supermarket. Hey, how are you? Better question is how are you? I'm still connected. What are you doing? You still religious? You still know who God is? You still, uh, the keeper got much smaller though. Sometimes it's not even there. Oh, what happened to the keeper? Oh, oh, yeah, the keeper. i start looking for the keeper. If I told you, where's your head? You look for your head? What happened? Oh, no, I started coming to the Shul Torah and uh, I was late. And it was long, Um, yeah, it was late and it was long in the beginning too when you did tshuva. You did tshuva, you came to me as a kofir. You came out of tzaddik. Back then it was also late and it was also long, it never changed. It was also always two hours plus and it was always late at night. It it was fine then. To do tshuva was fine. What happened? Oh no, I, I, uh, I, 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 it's uh, uh, that's what I. It's not I, it's Yitzhara. it's is killing you. You can't go up there and complain. You can't say, oh, you know, you know what? I did you, everything was good, but now I have panasah problems. That's why I can't come to the shiutawa. No, you have panasa problems because you're not going to the shiutawa. You have marriage problems because you're not going to the Shihua People call me and tell me, oh, no, no, you know, everything was good, but things are tough, and now I'm having marriage problems. What's the marriage problems? Oh, I don't know. My wife is unhappy. Oh, okay, let me talk to the wife. I talk to the wife, yeah, he's a despicable human being. He curses me. He yells at me. He does this. He barely gives me a penny to live He treats me like I'm a baby. He doesn't want to give me even $100 a week. Look at the phone. I've seen this is a human being. You're treating your wife like this? You're being cheap on your wife? You don't want to give your wife spending money so she could act like an adult she gave you kids? She brought kids to the world, she acted like a wife, she slept in the same bed as you, you chutzpan, you rasha, you're not willing to give your wife money to eat, to go be a human being. Any man, any man that's cheap on his wife is guaranteed to have a miserable life, guaranteed. Guaranteed to pay for it in shamayim, he's going to get a big punishment for torturing her his whole life. You're not allowed to be cheap on your wife. The one that brought all the Kedushah to your house, you're being cheap on her. No, but she's a big spender. What big spender? She bought a $20 dress. What big spender? Yeah, but she already has so many. So what she has so many? Hashem gave you money? What do you think it's for? For your 401k? What do you think it's for a retirement account only? It's also to give her Panasah. It's you own the Ketubah. Not allowed to be cheap on your wife unless she has a sickness of some kind, and you have to be careful. She has a sickness, she's a spendaholic, she just buys things for no reason, it's a different story. But some of these stories I hear from wives, my husband doesn't want to give me 100 dollars a week. just want to give you a hundred dollars a week. What's the hundred dollars a week for? And Nicole, just for me to like survive. A hundred dollars a week survive. Wow, amazing. You could survive a hundred dollars a week. Oh Hashem, you should be a praying. To Hashem to thank Hashem that you could survive on $100 a week. Nobody doesn't want to give me that. So what does he give you? Oh, he gives me $50. $50. The paper boy gets $50, you shah. The paper boy, the 15 year old paper boy gets $50. You cheap on your wife? Why are you cheap on your wife? Because you don't come to Shure Musa. You don't come to Shure Torah and get smacked in the face a few times by God. Well, Hashem Ibn Bach is telling you what it says. And I obviously repeat what he says. I'm just a vessel. You're not getting smacked in the face. What are you watching? You're watching emunashiors. You're watching shears that are with nice stories and make you feel good inside. Feel good inside. You can feel as good as you want. But if it's rotten, it's not going to help you. Musa is the only way you're going to clean yourself up. All of these guys having slumbite problems, all of these women that are having issues... It's because you're not going to Shure Torah that are really putting a fire inside you. If you leave a Shure Torah without fire, you've wasted your time. You've wasted your time. You watch a Shure Torah, and you feel okay about yourself at the end of the Shure Torah, am a, tzaddik. I'm a Everything he said I did. A bunch of times I see this. Sometimes I have rabbis come to my shir, and For whatever reason or another, they always feel the need to tell me, oh yeah, everything you said, I said. I'm like, Wow, I want to watch Yeshua. I watched this Yeshua, I'm like, you said nothing that I said. It's not even close. Not that I said, it's not Mishnah, it's a Musar, but you're not even teaching Musar. You're teaching, I don't know, Babamba and Beastly. What are you teaching? I'm teaching you potato chips. What are you teaching? People in your class are Mechale Shabbat for 25 years. The guy is cheating on his wife. He didn't say nothing. You saw him with his girlfriend. What are you teaching? What are you teaching? No, no, I said the same thing. No, you didn't say the same thing. Because if you said the same thing, something would change. You can't say the truth and nothing changed. You can't. It's impossible. It's against nature. I can't constantly smash the truth in your head, in your face, constantly, and I don't change. I can't. It's impossible. It's against nature. I know for sure, every shiur I do tshuva. Every shiur I do tshuva. Something has to change with me. Every shiur. Something has to change. Sometimes people tell me they change too. So first and foremost, stop wasting your time with the exterior with the stuff that looks important, that looks like it's a t- you're a tzaddik or not, focus on the important things. Understanding that you have to learn Torah. One of the most important parts is that whether you understand it or not is irrelevant. You, you have to learn it regardless. One. Two. It's extremely important to increase your mesilut nefesh. Increase your uncomfortability. You want to earn Torah? Get ready get used to being uncomfortable if you want to if you have the ability to go to Torah and you choose otherwise you're making a mistake and i'm not talking about one or two students that are off the derech because of it, it has nothing to do with me when they're off it's not because of me it has nothing to do with me they stopped watching first they came then they watched online then they stopped watching then they started watching someone else, or they stopped watching altogether eventually, and eventually six, seven, eight, nine months later, I see them, the complete secular, like they started a year, two years earlier. Or if they're religious, it's only exterior religious. It's not really religious. And I give you example after example. Why? Because the Torah is something that requires mesirut nefesh. It requires it. It's part of it. It goes hand in hand. The laws of menstrual period Baach is telling you is that this is a mandatory law that you must know because this is the foundation of a house. You want to have Shlom bayt, you want to have good kids, you want to have a good future, you want to have eternity, you must follow Tarat Mishpacha. Why? If you have children out of a time where your wife is nida, your children will have serious, serious problems, which means you will have serious problems in your life. This is just the reality of life. Anyone who doesn't want to believe it, look at the kids today. Look at the generation today, a generation of losers. It's not their fault, it's their parents' fault. Every kid, regardless of what place he is in a competition, expects a trophy. 27th place has a trophy. Every little kid's room has a wall of trophies. 27th place, 32nd place, 59th, 101st place. Every kid has a trophy. Last place, trophy. What last place? You're the biggest loser in town. Why are you getting a trophy for being a loser? This is the generation we live in. But this has to do with the parents. The parents were not careful to watch what the Torah says. And they decided to just do as they feel like it. This is the problem. So, a person needs to understand that in order for them their house to at least have a chance of having kedusha, they must follow tarat mishpacha, which means you have to have approximately eleven to twelve days of separation per month, and an average period. Which means that you are, if the wife once the wife gets a period, you have to wait. You have to wait. Wait until she's clean, or a minimum of five days, and then you have to count seven days. So, this means that, on the average, you're going to have 12 months of separation a month. Now, this is healthy, both physically and spiritually, for a couple. Now, if you just are intimate with the wife whenever you feel like it, you're creating a lot of problems, not just spiritual problems, but you're also creating problems, in a sense that you're going to have too much intimacy. Shlomo Melech, Shlomo Amelech in Proverbs, says, Dvash matzata, echol dayeka. Kentis beena veikiyato. Shlomo amelech says, You found honey. You found honey. Honey is something sweet. It's delicious. You Like honey. I don't personally like honey, but people tell me it's delicious. To them, fine. Everybody has the taste buds. He said, Shlomo Melech says, you found honey, sweet, nice, tame, right? Eat a little bit. Don't eat too much. You found honey. You found unlimited supply of honey. Eat a little bit. Don't eat too much. Why? You're going to throw up at the end. What we need, Shlomo Melech, to tell us, if we eat too much of honey, we're going to throw up. If we eat too much of anything, you're going to throw up. He says, no. Honey is good. But it's only good with tact, with a little bit. A little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. Your wife is good. A little bit at a time. Not too much. There's alachot of how often you're allowed to be with your wife, Rambam says, depending on what you do for a living. Depends on what you do. Some people you're allowed to be together. The wife and husband are allowed to be together as often. Not necessarily it's not necessarily a, uh, mandatory, but it's a good advice in so many words. He says, if you're tamid chacham, once a week, if you travel, once a month. If it's uh, if you have a different type of job, it could be once a day. It depends during that time that you're allowed. But the point is, is that he says, depends on what you do, depends on much energy you need to to do what you do, and so on. Everybody has different cheshbon, different accounting of what when is allowed, when's not allowed. The point being, you'll see in the last chapter of the Mishnah, everything has to have structure even your intimate times with your wife. Why? Because you're not a lion. You're not some type of uh, a beast in the jungle. You're not on Discovery Channel. You're not a zebra. You're a human being that's trying to follow God. Act like one. So in order to know when I'm allowed, when I'm not allowed, the first thing you need to know, when am I even allowed, to look at my wife and touch her hand at the same time? Look, you're always allowed to look. But touch her hand, be with her intimate is a different story. When am I allowed? These are very important things to know. Why? Because once I know when I'm allowed, then I have to structure my life accordingly. But this is why it's not a surprise to see some of the Gdoleado, some of the big Rabbanim, they're 80, 90 years old, but they're still lovey dovey with their wife. They love their wives. They're excited about their wives just like they did 30, 40, 50, 70 years ago. Why? There was always a certain structure. There was always a certain time we're allowed, a certain time we're not allowed. We didn't have too much, too much, too much. Eventually, you don't want it. This is what happens in a secular world. In a secular world, you act at will. Whenever you feel like it, you do it. So, naturally, in the beginning, you feel like it all the time. You don't want to stop feeling like it. But what happens two, three, four, five months later, not only you don't feel like it, you don't want to look at her. She doesn't want to look at you. All of a sudden, you hate each other. What well, you hate? It. Six months, you were fine. Five months, you were fine. You guys never heard of these stories, these celebrities get married, get divorced the next day? When well, I thought about six years later, a day, a day wedding. I remember when I was uh, young, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, whenever it was, uh, some uh, celebrity got married for one day. Singer, some famous singer, she got married for one day. One day, they, get, they got married, the next day they got divorced. Shlomo says, I know. I was married to a thousand wives. So now, and obviously Shlomo Amelech was not married to a thousand wives for the intimate part of it. He was married for a thousand wives for the sake of bringing the Mashiach. He was trying to bring the Mashiach. But that's a, for another shiu. So first and foremost, he's telling you, understand. There are certain laws. These are the foundations. If a woman is not willing to, to keep Shabbat, the bet din tells you continue. Get her to do tshuva. She's not willing to keep kosher. Continue. Get her to do tshuva. She's not willing to keep a lot of laws. All the other laws. Said continue. Keep going. But if he says my woman is not willing to keep tarat mishpacha, they said you give you a get on the spot. Most bet din's they give you a get on the spot. Why? You can't live together. You can't can't give away what it says on the ketubah, and you you are allowed to get divorced right on the spot. Why? You're not allowed to be in the same house. Because you're not allowed to touch her. And how many men are going to hold up to that test? Now, obviously, different rabbis know their students differently. So I know there's a very famous story about Rabbi Uri Zaw. Shechyeh. He's a huge mezakeh rabim. Huge Kiruv rabbi in Israel. And he used to be pretty much the number one movie star in Israel and producer. And they actually invited him to come to Hollywood and so on. He was very, very wealthy, very, very successful, but in the worst possible business in the world. One day he started doing tshuva, Hashem, and uh, his wife was a scholar. It was a very, very uh, established woman, very smart and intellectual. So she never found the Judaism to be... Anything, she made fun of it, she didn't care for it. in the beginning, you know, he was just focusing on his own shuvah but eventually he said, Okay, listen, can you please go to the mikveh? She goes, Go to the mikveh, ichsa. I'm not going to the mikveh. Why would I go to the, I'm going to the pool, I go to the beach, I go why would I go to the mikveh? She's not keeping anything, he's keeping Shabbat, he's keeping everything, he's keep she doesn't want to keep nothing. She goes to his rabbi, he says Rabbi, she doesn't want to keep she doesn't want to keep Talib's I Can't be with her. I'm sleeping on one floor of the house, she's sleeping on another floor of the house. I can't be with her. Because I know if I'm next time, I'm going to fail. And his rabbi knew him, knew him well, knew what, what he could stand. And he said, stay with her. she will do tshuva eventually. He says, rabbi, I said, Rabbi, I tried, I tried, I tried. He goes, He's not interested. Stay with her. And again, this is based on a relationship between a rabbi and a student. not In general, if the woman is not uh, keeping tarat mishpachat, the beddin will allow you to get divorced. And uh, anyway, long story short, eventually the rabbi comes up with a brilliant idea. And he says, listen, try this last test. Try this last thing. Take one of the books of the Rambam and read it at the kitchen table. the kitchen table, read it. After you finish, don't put it back in the shelf. Leave it there. Every day, open it up a little bit, read something, make comments if you want, or not. Read it and put it back. That's it. Just leave it on, on the kitchen table all the time. Never remove him from the kitchen table. Rabbi says, Rabbi I do I do, right? So this is what he does. One day he comes home and his wife comes down, she looks at him, and he says, Today she looked at me differently. And I said, Hi, how are you? And she goes, Okay. I'll go to that mikveh. That mikveh you want me to go? I'll go. And Rabbi Uwe Zohar says, I didn't ask her why. I was so excited. I've been waiting for years. It wasn't like a few months. From what I remember, it's a five years he waited. Five years he waited for his wife to go to the mikveh. We wouldn't be able to, five days. Five years. This, this, this is the dargah of somebody. This is somebody is very holy. Already early in his chuvai was very holy. To leave what he left and to become a Kiruv rabbi, it's it's not something for everybody. And he's one of the biggest ones. Anyway, he says, I was so excited, I didn't bother or care about why. I saw something changed. She went to the Mikveh Baruch Hashem and he says, Today, she's much more religious than me. He's a Kiruv rabbi. He makes people do tshua, brings them from Geinom to ganeden for years takes them out of Gaino, puts them in Ganeda, He says, my wife, bigger tzaddikah, much more religious than me. I could say the same probably for all Kyiv rabbis' wives. Why? Because in order for a wife to allow her husband to constantly travel every single day, go from place to place to place to place to place for free, takes a special woman, she takes a special tzaddikah. It's not like you're bringing millions to the house. Hey honey, I came home, he brings a uh, wad of, uh, you know, stacks of cash. What does he come with? He gives stacks of problems. Hey honey, this student has this one, this student has that one, this student has this one. So anyway, for years he didn't ask her. For years he didn't ask her. He says, one day I asked her. I had to ask her after years, Baruch Hashem, she's very religious. I asked her, what got you interested? What happened? She says... You know, I saw that book you kept looking into every day. That Rambam book. And I always asked myself, what is he reading all the time? What is he reading? What is he so interested in that book? What's in that book that he's so interested in? So one day you left, and I looked into the book that was in the kitchen. And I looked at me. She was, again, she was a scholar. She wasn't like an average person. She was a scholar. She's a very, very intelligent person. Very big intellectual. She said, I read the book. Oh, you like what it says? He goes, No, no, I didn't understand anything. I didn't under. I read the whole. Th- I read a whole page. I did not, with all the levels of Hebrew that I have, and all the things that I know, and all the things that I learned, and all the things, and all I didn't understand one word in the entire page, except that I knew that whatever he's writing, it's serious. Whatever this Rambam is writing, it's meaningful, it's serious, and if it's serious, I want to be a part of it. It's not a joke, it's not just an illusion, it's not just putting on black and white and wearing a beard. Whatever he's writing, it's serious, it's meaningful, I want to be a part of it. It's time for us to be serious. It's time for us to take Hashem seriously. Because as he's telling you in Parashat Shavuah, I gave you Bracha Uklala, together. If you're still 50-50, and your mitzvah is 50-50, and you're acting like you're doing Hashem a favor for coming to Shul Torah, for doing tefillin, for giving tzedakah, for anything you're doing, it's all 50-50, it's 75-25, it's all incomplete. You have a problem. You have a serious, serious problem. Because that's what's going to be used against you. In the Bet Deen of shemaim they're going to ask you, not, why didn't you do what you didn't know? They're not going to ask you. Why didn't you do the Korbanot in Bet mikdash They're not going to ask you that. Why? There's no Bet Mi'kdash. Why didn't you give Shure Torah seven days a week? You don't give Shure Torah. You work in an insurance company. You work in a uh, tire company. You work in, uh, I don't know, Merrill Lynch or something. You work, you don't do that. They're not going to ask you why you didn't give a Torah. They're not going to ask you why didn't you give a million dollars a year in tzedakah. You make 50,000. You can't give a million dollars a year in tzedakah. They're not going to ask you that. What are they going to ask you? Why didn't you do everything you know? You knew you had to keep Shabbat. Why did you start worrying about Shabbat a half hour before Shabbat? Why didn't you start worrying about Shabbat on Thursday? When did you learn Allah Shabbat? You stopped breaking Shabbat. No, I didn't drive. Okay, you didn't drive. So the donkey didn't drive either. He doesn't have a The donkey didn't drive also on Shabbat. The lion doesn't drive on Shabbat for sure. They don't have a That's what they're going to ask you. He says that He says those people that focus on astronomy, Mathematics, even if that mathematics, they try to connect the Torah. People love gematria. Gematria is adding the numerical value of each letter in the Hebrew language and coming up with a total and connecting it to a mitzvah. Now we already know from the Torah that this is definitely a part of the Torah. But here we learn that it's only a seasoning. Meaning, so we have we get hints hints from Gimatria. So, for example, Elohim, God, has the same numerical value, 86, as Hateva, the nature, meaning God is nature. So, when people say nature, in essence, it's God. So Gematria, when they both words have the numerical value of 86, we learn from here that this is a secret in disguise. And many, many other things, like, for example, which is a verse in Deuteronomy 6.5, which is, you shall love, first one is, you shall love Hashem, your God. And the second one, which is in Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your fellow as yourself. Both have a total value of all the words, 493. So here, Hazal says this is a hint that when you love your fellow, when you love your fellow Jew, you're in essence also showing by that love of the fellow Jew, you're showing that you love God. On the other hand, when you love God, you must find a way to love your brother also. The numerical value of both verses is the same, 493. So these are seasonings. These are, you know, it's nice. Hints things that are beyond the norm. You're not going to find this in a Harry Potter book. Harry Potter played with the mirror and then he played with the broom. Oh, they're together? No, it has nothing to do with each other. One's broom, one's stick. It has nothing to do. It's human. Here in the Torah, every verse has a certain value. Every verse has a certain meaning. Every verse has several different layers of secrets, several different layers of messages, some that apply to the past, some that apply to today, some that apply to the future. Prophecies. The point being is that the Torah is dynamic. It never ends. Dynamic. It's a moving. It's a moving thing. One of the things you can learn in Marah Masechet Shabbat is that Chazal says that when they built the first Bet mikdash the first Bet mikdash the grand opening was on Yom Kippur. The grand opening of Bet mikdash was on Yom Kippur. Shlomo HaMelech, opening Bet mikdash Yom Kippur, the Repentance Day. It says today, no one fasts. Yom Kippur, Repentance Day. Appeal. We have Elul coming up next week. It's the beginning. We have several weeks to do tshuva. Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah is Judgment Day. Yom Kippur is the appeal. Ten days later. Everybody goes thinks that Yom Kippur is more important than Rosh Hashanah. It's not. Rosh Hashanah is really the Judgment Day. Yom Kippur is appeal, meaning if your judgment originally in Rosh Hashanah was not good, Yom Kippur is the last opportunity to change that decision, to make it favorable. But the point is, everyone knows, secular, religious, goyim, and Jews, everyone knows Yom Kippur, you fast. Everyone knows you fast. So here we see in the Gemara that Yom Kippur, Bet HaMikdash, didn't fast. Is a violation of the Torah. The sages at the time translated, they said, this is such a celebration for Shemit Barach that we don't have to fast on this specific day. It's a gzirah for just that one time. For just that one time. But still, deep down inside, unlike us, we find out we don't have to fast, we're already excited. Tell people, you know, Tisha B'Av, you have to fast. Oh, you have to fast. Oh, I'm so hungry. I mean, not, not today, it's in a week. It's not that you, you don't have to fast today. No, but I don't know. It's going to be hot. No, no, it's actually cold weather outside. No, I already feel hot. I don't know if I can do it the whole day. 24 hours. It's 25 actually. It's like the guy is dying. He's already hungry. I don't know if I can make it. for What? It's just not eating, man. Relax. What are you, a cow? Stop eating. It's one day. Oh, I don't know if I can do it. I'm busy. I got work. Okay, so don't work. If you want to find a way, you'll find a way. You want to find an excuse, you'll find an excuse. I tell people we gotta fast, they're already suffering. It hasn't happened yet. So if we here we don't have to fast, we're excited. Here, Ami side was suffering. They were second guessing themselves. They were second guessing themselves. Like, should we have really skipped the fast? Even though the sages, the rabbis, the head rabbis, Tzadikim, Kedoshim, Bet mikdash it's not regular people. this Holy of Holies. Shlomo melech, not going to lead us wrong. So we have to listen to them. Don't fast. But they're still, with suffering, they're like not sure. Maybe Hashem's mad. Maybe not. The Gemara says, a bat call came from Shemaim and says, you did right. You did right. It's good fest. Here, this is one of the places we see that the Torah is dynamic. It's dynamic. There are black and whites, there's black and white rules that you have to follow, but there are certain times that certain things change for a specific moment, not for a generation. Not, hey, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have a car, so therefore he didn't drive on Shabbat, but I have a car, so I drive on Shabbat. Nothing like that. That's stupid. That's an excuse talking about certain things that are dynamic the Torah is a moving thing it's not a uh, rule book like an IRS laws that nobody ever reads so here we see in this mishnah to finalize everything it's Rabbi Lazar hisma is telling you you want to learn astronomy you want to learn the Gimatriot all of those things they're all seasoning it's all good they're all intellectually stimulating it's great As a matter of fact, you want to learn a lot of things about, let's say, for example, the Big Bang. The Big Bang. Everybody likes the Big Bang. Everybody thinks that the Big Bang goes against the Torah. I did too. I thought that the the Big Bang goes against the Torah. But in fact, it doesn't. It doesn't. As a matter of fact, one of the names of God comes... From the real big bang. In the Gemara Hamasechet Chaggah, page 12a, it says the following. V'emar Rav Yehuda, emar Rav, v'sha'a sh'bara ha'kadosh baruchu et ha'olam, a'yam merkib ve'olech ishte sh'te shel sh'ti. Ad shegavar bo ha'kadosh baruchu, v'amidoh, sh'n'emar amude sh'mayim y'rofafu, migarato. Translation. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Rav, when the Holy One, blessed be he, Shemit barakh was, ex- well, was creating the world. Initially, it was expanding. Like two unraveling balls of warp thread, until the Holy One, blessed be he, rebuked the world, and brought it to a standstill. And the pillars of heaven, uh, as it says in the verse, the pillars of heaven shudder and are astounded by his rebuke. Translation of everything I just said. In science, they said that everything started with a certain point, that continued expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding, and continues expanding to this day, and makes claim that it's been expanding for 13.4 billion years. Tawas says, you're on the right track, but you're wrong at the same time. When Hashemit Barakh before this world, started the universe, everything, He started, yes, it was only Him. He minimized Himself. He minimized Himself in order to make space for something else to exist. It started with a certain point and He let it expand and expand and expand until He roared at it and said, stop. And this is where we get the name El Shaddai. Why? Because he's El means God that said die, that said stop. So here this is also an Gemara. You want to learn science? It's here. You want to learn architecture? It's here. Anything you want to learn, he says all of this stuff is here. Just open up the book. Try. Try. Go in there. Delve in there. Don't forget, if you want to earn it, it requires Nesirut Nefesh.